Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Soulfulpreneur Talk Radio with your hosts, Rachel Archelaus and Megan Grandelmeyer. Merging spirituality and business on the Enlightenment Evolution Network. Boy, oh boy, do we have a good show for you today. Um, this is Rachel Archelaus, and I'm here with Megan Krendelmeyer. Hello. And you're listening to Soulfulpreneur Talk Radio, where we merge spirituality and business. Today's guest is, if I could do a drum roll, I would. <laughs> That's from Christmas Vacation. <laughs> yeah. Robert Scheinfeld, an amazing author, spiritual teacher, business tycoon. Uh, we'll give you his whole story in a couple minutes, but you know he wrote Busting Loose from the Money Game and the Business Game. Um, so many more books as well that really help people kind of give up the power struggle and find some truth in their lives. So we are just totally thrilled to have him here today. Um, We'll be talking to him in a few minutes. You can call us and ask him questions. And the number is 347-308-8788. And if you are on the phone and you want to talk to us, just press 1. Otherwise, you can listen there and we won't bug you. I've also opened up the chat. So if you're on Blog Talk right now listening, then you can log in and uh, talk to us in the chat. I'm going to give you the announcements, though, and then we'll get right to Robert. Uh, Today is November 25th, 2014, and we are part of the Enlightenment Evolution Network. You can find out about all of our shows on Facebook. If you just search for Enlightenment Evolution Network, you'll see our page up there. And we have lots of shows. So Victoria Vives Wong's show, which is um, Tuesdays later on today at 9 p.m. Eastern, may be switching or has switched to Saturday. So just check out the page for that information. But her show, Earth Sky People, is your bridge between heaven and earth. And she talks about living in oneness with one another, with Mother Earth, and with life beyond earth. And Wednesdays at 9 p.m. Eastern, we have the Enlightenment Evolution Hour with Rob Gauthier. And Rob is the person who created our Enlightenment Evolution Network. And he hosts the show every week and channels a being named Treb. And he uh, takes callers and uh, has special guests. And you can find more about him on trebchanneling.com. And Thursdays at 9 p.m. Eastern, we have Philip Malika's Consciousness Evolution Hour. And he talks about everything metaphysical from the perspective of the fifth dimension. You can find him on Facebook and on YouTube as well. Friday nights at 9 p.m. Eastern, we have the Earth Experience with Kalina Angel. And she explores our soul's expansion through our human experiences on Earth. And Saturday night, we have a new show at 9 p.m. Pacific called Disclosure Now. And your hosts are the Pied Piper and Texas Rebel. They talk about all sorts of interesting things like conspiracies and aliens and cover-ups and all all sorts of juicy stuff. 
And Sunday mornings for the early birds at 10 a.m. Eastern, we have the Resonance Intention, hosted by Soul and Neil Gower. And that uh, just started this month, so check that one out. And Sundays at 2 p.m. Eastern, we have About Oneness with Karen Newman. And her show focuses on celebrating our conscious awakening of the planet and our realization of oneness and unconditional love. And then finally, on Monday nights at 7.30 p.m. Pacific time, we have Heart to Heart Talk Radio with Daniel Scranton. And he talks about topics such as the shift, ETs, global events, energy work, and sound healing. And he's a Reiki master and sound healer. And he also teaches channeling. And you can learn more about him at danielscranton.com. I know you're going to do it. We both breathe in. Go ahead, Rachel. (laughs) Any opinions expressed on Soulful Printer Radio by us or our guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Enlightenment Evolution Network. Wonderful. Yeah. So we we got that done. Yeah. So all of our prerequisites are done now. And (laughs) I'm going to tell you a little bit about Robert Scheinfeld. Um, You know, normally Megan and I talk about our experiences with the guest and and everything, but we want so much time for Robert to speak that we're just going to skip that today. You'll you'll get the gist of how his work has influenced us in the conversation. Um, It's been quite vast and continues. So, yeah, definitely listen in. Feel free to ask questions, too. Don't be shy today. So for more than 20 years, Robert Scheinfeld has been helping people worldwide create extraordinary results in less time, with less effort, and much more fun. Robert captivates audiences through his unique and memorable personal stories of transformation and by sharing valuable and empowering insights from his own rich life. Robert began his path to discovering true success at age 12 when his tycoon grandfather, founder of Manpower, Inc., the world's largest temporary help service and Fortune 150 company, told him true success is based on your ability to tap power in the invisible world. Unfortunately, his grandfather died before he could finish teaching Robert about the invisible world and other secrets of his success. Scheinfeld, however, was determined to unlock the mystery of success by discovering the inner workings of his grandfather's invisible world. During his journey, Robert spent over 33 years on what he now calls the treasure hunt of the century. Along the way, he became a multimillionaire and self-proclaimed stressed-out maniac. I don't think there's any one of us who couldn't relate to that. (laughs) Awesome. Plunged $153,000 in debt and spent seven years struggling before he solved the mystery his grandfather left him at such a young age. His busting loose body of work reveals his discoveries and how you can apply them to create true success in your life. Robert's keynote speeches, seminars, books, audios, and other learning resources have helped tens of thousands of people in more than 190 countries transform their definitions of success and the pathways they follow to create success in their lives. His busting loose body of work reveals his discoveries and how you can apply them to create true success in your life. More than providing more of the same old, same old, or another rah-rah motivational jump-up that doesn't last, an interaction with Robert empowers you to see with unusual clarity, act with newfound confidence, 
and transform the results you produce in your life and work. He gets you on track, laser-focused, and tapping into a new kind of power to finally experience the true financial freedom you've been searching for. And he writes and works from his home in Virginia. Uh, Yeah, so he's got lots of great classes. He doesn't only have the busting loose information as well. Um, He has more, and hopefully we'll talk to him about that too. So let's see. I have a Skype call, and I have numbers that may be him, but I don't have anything that matches what we've got, so bear with me as I try to find Robert. Hello? Hi, Colin. I'm here. This, hi. Can, Great to can talk you hear to me? You. Thank you so much. Yes. Yes. Okay, good. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. This is uh, really exciting. It is for me, too. I appreciate the opportunity to share about the teachings. Excellent. So um, I know your bio is is very extensive, but is there anything that you'd want to add to that? I just say that because I've been going through um, the Ultimate Freedom course that you offer, and and I know there's more to you than just the busting loose stuff. Well, I, I think a place, a good place to start is for everybody to realize, and you may already, that I have been built to be uh, the ultimate renegade and naysayer in a sense. And that's because of the dialogue I had with my grandfather as a child and because in trying to fix my own life and change my own life and produce the results that I wanted when I was younger and seeing so many of the common prescriptions and formulas fail, I finally just jettisoned everything and said, there's got to be something that I don't know. There's got to be something that nobody else is teaching, and I want to find it. So I threw all the theories, I threw all the ideas and concepts, everything out, and I said, all right, I'm only going to go now based on what I can see in my own experience being brutally honest about the truth of things. And that's when the real breakthrough started to happen for me, but it came from failure and desperation from trying so many other paths. And then once I started on this journey, I just kept being taken deeper and deeper and deeper into what I call the truth with a capital T. And every time there was a major breakthrough, I would pop up and offer a debrief of what I had just discovered and experienced. Again, not ideas and concepts, but actually experienced. And that debrief may have been a book, may have been a workshop, may have been a course or whatever. And so I've kind of been narrating real time this journey deeper into truth with a capital T that began when I was 12, as you said, but but moved through its most intense and breakthrough phases in the last 10 years. Awesome. Yeah. And I love that even though you're evolving and your story is, you know, your perspective is changing a bit over the years as you learn more what you've created in the past still holds true for certain people on their journey as well. So I love that. Um, most of the people listening have have read Busting Loose because Megan and I are such evangelists for it. We just love that book. And, and so most of the people listening are familiar with the terminology and everything. And I know Megan had a question for you to start off with, so I'll let her take over. Yeah, um, I wanted to ask uh, probably a very common question, but I figured since it came up for me and I know it came up for people I know that were reading the book, um, the concept of other people and that other people 
are not real, that we script what they're going to say to us. I have to say that this part of the book, you know, it, it freaked me out a bit. And I actually, I think I put the book down for a month or so. And I used to talk with Rachel and say, I feel really alone. I feel like I'm the only one who exists and everybody else is in my imagination. Um, so, Robert, do you want to address that? Because I think that wh- how I've um, come to understand it maybe more is, Maybe I'm not exactly scripting what everyone else is saying, but almost it's my filter, what I'm allowing myself to hear. What are your thoughts on on that? I could probably spend the whole hour just addressing that. So I, <laughs> I know. that's probably going to be the case of a lot of these questions. The first thing I want to say is the book was designed to do many things, but one of the things it was really designed to do was to take a hammer to many of the things that people believe are true and to and to hammer at them until they shatter which opens up the opportunity for something new so there are certain things like that that were designed to be a hammer that would shatter old things um and then sometimes those things you know in the shattering got taken a little bit too far or got misinterpreted but the point of a lot of this was first to shatter the old to create the opportunity for the new. And so in the old, everybody's a a separate individual and everyone has free will and everyone has this and that and everyone is a, you know, whatever soul in a body or whatever it is. And one of the things that it was important, my bias, to shatter was that. And so that's where this was coming from at the highest level, if you will, was to shatter the old to open for the new. In terms of where we go beyond that, it's um it's difficult because until somebody actually experiences the truth with a capital T of things then all we can do is talk about metaphors and ideas and concepts and they always are like a crutch you know they can be useful to a point but then something else has to happen so as i've moved much more deeply into truth the metaphor that's gotten much more accurate for me and that can actually be experiential not just some theory or cool, spiritual, whatever, is to imagine that all of us are characters in a story. Just like if you read a novel or you watched a movie and there's characters in a story. And if you're reading a great novel, you're reading a great story, there's all these characters and there's all these things that happen and there's also one writer. The characters are all, if you will, an expression of the one author. If you look at Harry Potter, which is one of the examples I like to use because it's such a uh, popular novel in movies now, um, there's one author, J.K. Rowling, but there's hundreds of characters. And the characters, male, female, rich, poor, good, evil, uh, small roles, big roles, but they're all an expression of the author, J.K. Rowling. They appear to be individuals. They appear to think. They appear to make decisions. They appear to do stuff. But ultimately, it's the consciousness, if you will, the creativity, whatever you want to call, of the author, J.K. Rowling, that shapes itself into the characters and everything that happens. And my bias, my experience, is that it's the same thing with us. There's one author of what you might call the human story, and then we are all characters in that. So it's not that you are real but all the other characters aren't, that you're somehow more real or better or something. It's that all of us are characters in a story. 
and none of us are the author of the story or the writer of the story. There's another author or writer, and here's where it gets tricky because, and here's where you get into stuff like oneness and all these other kinds of things, is that if you look again at the metaphor of J.K. Rowling and Harry Potter and all the characters, you can't separate Harry Potter from J.K. Rowling. They're one. You can't take J.K. Rowling out of Harry, and you can't take Harry out of J.K. Rowling. They're one. And so my bias, just using a very quick metaphor when we don't have a lot of time, is that that's what's really going on. That, yes, we're all connected, and we're all one, and in a way we're all the writer, but we're, from our perspectives, we're characters in this amazing story. Um, that I call now the human story. I used to call it the human game, but I've changed the language because story is a much more accurate metaphor to me. Well, I love that. That that helps me. I know I'm going to have to go back and reflect on it, but that that's helpful and perhaps is a little soothing to my fear that I was the only one existing. Obviously, I know I'm not, but then sometimes you get caught in your head. So Yeah, and, and I didn't mean us- it that way. <laughs> <laughs> I did mean to shatter the old, as I said, but I, I didn't. I, when I was talking about you in, a, in that sense, I was always talking about consciousness, who we really are, the non-physical part, what I'm now calling it, the writer and the author. And that was something that was misunderstood a lot, which I take responsibility for, but I didn't mean it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it is something, as you said, that many people struggled with. Others did not. Um, but... Uh, this is how I now see it and, and revised a little bit with some more clarity after knocking out a lot more cloud cover and experiencing so many more aspects of this. Awesome. Well, it does lead into one other question I have, and then I'll let um, Rachel ask some of her questions. But um, So some of what you're saying is, and I was listening to Journey to the Infinite, which I, I loved, um, because it, and I liked how, the, as you said, the multimedia experience of, of hearing you talk and seeing visuals um, is, is really reinforcing. But the idea that there's the small you, which is the everyday, you know, Megan living on Earth and having this conversation, and that there's a bigger you, an expanded self. Um, it reminds me a little bit of the Seth material. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, that material was very impactful on me in my teens. My uncle gave oh. me that book when I was 16, and it completely blew my circuits. Yeah. And I lived <laughs> and breathed that for a really long time. But I have to say that ultimately on my journey, after knocking out a lot of cloud cover before I began what I call the drilling operation through the cloud cover, I discovered that to my bias, a lot of the stuff that's in that is not true, is not accurate if you apply it to us as the characters in the story. Mm-hmm. But it's certainly true if you apply it to the author part of us, you know, the real us. So it was very impactful. It shaped my, my journey for a long time. And I was thrilled when I found out there were more books in the Seth series after reading that one because I didn't know. But ultimately, I had to abandon a lot of that stuff at an experiential level because I was shown something else to be true. Okay. Yeah, because, um, you know, that material goes into the fact that Seth and Jane Roberts, who's channeling Seth, are really all part of one entity or a higher one larger expanded self in a way. So it reminded me a little bit of your work and your teachings um, that – 
we only think of ourselves as the small you here, but yet there's the big you. Uh, and that that's where that's the where our thoughts are creating our reality. Because we, we hear that phrase all the time, your thoughts create your reality. But in Journey to the Infinite, you talk about how our small you thoughts don't create our reality, that it's, it's the big you. Well, see, ultimately, uh. again, where I went is what do you actually observe if you're brutally honest at looking at what you actually experience? And again, mm-hmm. I could talk for hours on this, but just to do this real quick, so to speak. If your thoughts really created your reality, you know, and the precise language is whatever you hold in your most dominant thoughts will manifest. Mm-hmm. Then every time you have dominant in your thoughts that I'm just being very general here and judgmental, you know, something good's going to happen. It ought to happen, except it doesn't. Yeah. And every time that you have something in your dominant thoughts that bad, you know, that you're afraid of or you're worried about happening, but it's in your dominant thoughts, then that bad thing ought to happen, except it doesn't. And then the other thing that blows them both out of the water, because there are people that can argue, you know, it's subconscious limiting beliefs or it's karma or it's whatever else that is why those first two, why the good doesn't always happen, why the bad doesn't always happen. The third one that blows it all out of the water is if your thoughts are really creating your own reality, how do you explain the things that happen that you never, ever thought about? Right, right. If stuff happens in your life that you never thought about, there's no choice unless you're in denial except to acknowledge that there is some other creative force that is either creating what happens to you or if you really want to stay with the old line explanations that's modifying your thoughts or whatever, you have to come to that conclusion if you're brutally honest. So if you look at your own experience and you look at it with brutal honesty, you have to conclude, no, my thoughts are not creating my reality. And you either have to go down one of two paths again. Either none of my thoughts have anything to do with it, which is where I ended up, or there's some other force that's modifying, you know, that's determining, that's filtering, you know, whatever. But my experience is, again, Harry Potter may seem like he's choosing and he's, he's defining his own destiny and choosing his path, but it's really the author. Harry can't say anything or do anything or think anything or feel anything or have any experience unless the author wrote it first. And my bias and my experience, after knocking out a lot of cloud cover, is it's the same thing with us. So if you want to keep the language consistent, which you did before, then it would be the quote-unquote thoughts of the author, consciousness, who you really are, whatever you want to call it, expand itself. It's those thoughts that create, but not the thoughts of us. And I don't like big you and small you because small you kind of makes us seem less significant, and and my experience couldn't be further from that. I mean, to me, we're all amazing, and... We're part of the author, and this whole thing is beyond amazing, and so I don't like using words like that that diminish. I know you don't mean it that way, but a lot of people see it that way. And to me, it's all beyond magnificent and extraordinary, and so I don't tend to use language like that. But anyway. Okay, okay. And, And that, does it make you feel like a puppet sometimes or no? If we're, if, I feel a little like, Okay. Like, I don't have control, but or, well, I know I don't sometimes, have control. Yeah, you say sometimes, you know, you said your mind runs around with things. The mind can easily buzz and whir, as I call it. The mind's like a computer, you know, it's like a machine, and it can take a look at this on the surface, 
and it can say, wow, if I'm just a character and I don't have any power and there's a writer, you know, then I'm this little nothing that's being pushed around by this, you know, puppet master. And then depending on what's happening in your life, you can attach all kinds of negative implications to the puppet master, you know, like it's malicious, it's negative, it's torturing you, it's, you know, whatever. But when you actually experience the truth of it, which, again, is the key to what I consider to be unique about my work, is giving people the opportunity and the pathway to actually experience this stuff, not just agree or disagree or accept it or reject it at the idea or concept level, but actually experience it, which is what happens when you knock out enough cloud cover, to use our language. Um, when you experience this, it no. You don't feel like a puppet at all. You feel like part of the unfolding of an extraordinary story. Now, the metaphor falls apart here a little bit, but if you were to go up to Harry Potter somehow and you could talk to him and you were to say to him, hey, do you feel like you're a puppet of J.K. Rowling, you know, and do you feel bad about No, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's a character mm-hmm. in a story. He's an amazing character in a story, you know, and, and we all are. But, you know, again, amazing with a capital A for all of it, no negativity at all like puppet or any of that kind of stuff when you're really experiencing the truth of what's going on. Yeah, you know, one of the biggest reasons I just... It's not even like I fell in love with your book. It was when I was reading the Busting Loose book for the first time, it was the first time where someone gave me the actual tools to do what, you know, the process that it would do. Um, You know, we've all been taught over the years to look at um, manifestation and the law of attraction and that we just need to get rid of our limiting beliefs and we can do that with so many different ways, EFT, the Sedona method, I mean, the list could go on and on. Um, but as you say, you know, none of that works reliably, right? It just doesn't. And then when I was reading your book, even before I got to the process, you know, I started I mean, I grew up with the story that I was, you know, I'm psychic and I'm connected and I I can see the invisible world. Uh, but it's like that was opening up for me as I was reading it. I could feel that there was more to the book than um, just some regular spiritual book. And when I started applying the process, I actually had the experiences that you were talking about of, you know, synchronicities happening and power um, being in places, and, you know, I could go on and on. Megan and I trade busting loose moments daily. Um, <laughs> it's pretty fun. I have a good one from this week. <laughs> yeah, she does. So I really want to acknowledge that, you know, you're a different kind of spiritual teacher, and you're playing on a different level of the truth than a lot of other books and teachings play on. And I find that to be a helpful metaphor as well, that there are, there are many levels of the truth, and it's great to play on all of them, but yours kind of, it has a way to bring us to another level. Can you talk about that at all? Well, that's how I see it, and that's what my bias is. And it just, you know, in my own personal journey, I don't think I talked about this in the book. I can't remember if I talked about it in Journey to the Infinite, but anyway, the truth is, This journey for me began when I was 12 with these discussions with my grandfather. And I got to the point where the same patterns were repeating in my life. And I just up, down, up, down, up, down with money and business and success and relationships, especially romantic that didn't work, and being, quote, unquote, mistreated. And all these things just kept repeating. 
And I finally, I believe it was when I was uh, 46 or something, I'm 57 right now, I literally went outside in my backyard and I looked up as if, as if I was talking to what you might call consciousness, God, source, whatever. And I got really mad. And I said, look, you started me on my journey, this journey when I was 12. You know what? I've done everything you've asked me to do. I've paid my dues. I've done my due diligence. I've, I've gone down every path. You know, I still thought I had a choice at that point. But, you know, and obviously there's something I don't know here. There's obviously something I'm not seeing. And I actually said, either you show me what I don't see, either you show me what the truth is, or kill me. Because I won't, I can't do this anymore. I just can't do this anymore. I was at absolute low point of desperation. Now, I wasn't interested anymore in, in spiritual ideas that were interesting or that were what I call sexy or that, you know, gave me a lot of power that was a very appealing thing. It was like, I don't care what it is, and I don't care what I have to do. I want to know what the truth is with capital T's, and I want to experience it. And if you aren't going to give me that, then get me the hell out of here because I, won't, I can't do this anymore. And it was eight months later that these teachings started to appear first, as ideas and concepts or seeing things in my mind, and then it became more and more experiential. But it was because I, and this isn't a magic formula, you know, get angry or get get desperate and then ask, and, you know, the truth will be revealed to you. But what happened in my story is I was asking, in a sense, part of my story, part of my journey was about going to this deeper level that you referred to, and so that's what I got. And I, I studied so many of the other things. I tried so many of the other things. So what I was asking for was, you know, take me deeper. Show me what no one seems to be talking about. Whatever. That's what I was begging for. And as it turned out, that's what came. But, you know, just like Harry Potter's destiny in his story was to defeat the ultimate bad guy, Voldemort, this, this doesn't make me anybody special or more enlightened or anything else. It's just in the Robert Scheinfeld story, this is what was meant to happen. Uh, he was supposed to go down this path and, and bump into all these walls and get desperate and then slowly but surely start to see the truth and then experience it. And then it's just the nature of the story. You know, I was written as a character to do that, just like Harry Potter was written as a character to defeat Voldemort and be able to have magic. But... It doesn't make me special, and it doesn't make me more evolved or an older soul or anything like that. It's just what my story was about. Yeah, I love that. And I love how you do, you know, you, you take judgment out of everything, and and it puts everybody on the same playing field. And I think I notice a lot, even in, you know, spiritual communities, how everybody has their own point of view, but no one really um allows that to be okay and so it's wonderful and liberating to know that we can all have our own storyline and you know it's all correct on one level everybody's existence is truth um you know and and that's a wonderful and liberating thing another and any, thing any sort of a cause and effect story within that can appear to be true it also, if that's the way the the author wrote it, you know, which explains so many of these things that seem to be true, and there's evidence for them and all these kinds of things. It's just a question of what the author, what consciousness, what I now call true creative essence, 
what does it want to play with and explore, and what kind of a story does it want to experience at a total immersion level? And then it writes everything to happen in order to support that particular whatever. And nothing is better or worse or more or less evolved or whatever else. It's just what's the story about. Yeah. It seems like I interrupted you, though. What were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say that um, what you're teaching, it it has some things in common with a popular metaphysical storyline of ascending to the fifth dimension. And, and it's cool to look at the differences and then the similarities to what you talk about. And I know you do... Um, you study a lot of this stuff. Do you have any comments on that? Well, again, to me, and I, I have no judgment in this, and I have no criticism in this. I just have what I would call clear seeing. And I also recognize that I'm biased <laughs> based on my experience. But honestly, anybody listening, there isn't any judgment or criticism or anything in, in what I'm about to say. But to me, it's all stories. So is there really a fifth dimension, and can you really move from the whatever to the fifth dimension, and then in the fifth dimension these things are possible? To my bias, no. There's just stories. You read Harry Potter, is there really magic or not magic? It doesn't make any difference. There's magic in the story. And and in the story, the magic appears to be real. There can be stories where there appears to be this dimension and that dimension and the fifth, and People are moving into the fifth, and as they move into the fifth, da-da-da-da happens, and that can appear to be true. There can also be people that, uh, you know, could be in my sphere of influence or could be in another sphere of influence, never hear about the term fifth dimension, never study any of that, but are having experiences that are what I call now call ultimate freedom or phase three, which are synonyms. Fifth dimension is just a story, you know. It makes certain kinds of things possible. And and it's all about stories. So to me, it's not, quote-unquote, the way it is. It isn't, quote-unquote, what's really happening right now. It's just the unfoldment of one story. And it makes it possible for a whole lot of people um, to experience that particular story and be able to play, explore, and, and express creatively, which is what I think the whole human story is about, is who we really are, playing, exploring, and expressing itself creatively, just like the author of fiction is. And so fifth dimension or all these other different kinds of things, but it, it affects everything. You know, it affects karma, it affects reincarnation, it affects um, life after death. It, it, it's all just stories. It's all just opportunities to have amazing experiences. And um, those some stories are active in certain people's lives, and some stories aren't. You know, mm. I'm one of three kids. Mm. My brother's never heard of any dimensions and doesn't care. My sister has heard of them, uh, probably believes some of it. My parents have no idea. If you said fifth dimension, they would say what? They'd have no idea what you're talking about. It's irrelevant to their story, but it's important to certain other stories, temporarily or long-term. But to me, everything's stories, and it's just a question of which ones are active in your life, your story, and which ones aren't. But to me, none of it's real, none of it's true, none of it is the way it is, none of it is a global, universal explanation of what's going on right now. It's just stories within stories within stories. Yeah, I just I love that. It's because it's so easy to say that okay, well this real physical world isn't real, but you know, 
the other galaxies and aliens are, right? And um, it's just, it's so lightening to know that everything is just a story and we really are all playing and all of our, you know, playing fields are the same and wonderful. And um, yeah, it's just, it's great. So thank you for that. I mean, where I live, they just opened this brand new movie theater that has 12 theaters in it. So if I were to walk into that theater right now, there's 12 different movies. You know, some would be science fiction and fantasy, and some would be action, and some would be romance, and some would be this, and some would be that, and some would be dark, you know, the subjects. There are people who would say no to what I'm about to say, but in general, if I were to say to people, I'm going to give you two options. You know, you come to one of these movie theaters. I'm going to give you two options. One, you can go into this theater, you can sit in the seat, and you can have the experience like you normally do of a movie. Or I'll give you option B. I'll take you into this other special total immersion movie theater, and, and I'll give you a different opportunity. You'll have the opportunity to forget who you are, become one of the characters in this story, Think everything they think, feel everything they feel, have every experience in this world, you know, that this character does, and then pop back out again. Remember who you really are, what's really going on, but retain everything that you experienced in that total immersion movie. Which movie theater would you like to go to? My bias is most people, especially if you could deal with any fear that might come up, would choose that total immersion experience versus the typical experience and that to me is what's really going on with this human game with this human story is that who we really are is totally immersing itself in these characters and having a total immersion experience of everything that interests it and that's what's really going on any aspect of the human game you know whether it's high finance it's war it's health and and wellness it's being a healer it's being sick it's being a parent it's being this, it's being that, any aspect in this, any what-would-happen-if scenario that interests who we really are. A story is written, a total immersion movie is created, and there's the opportunity to be the character and have these experiences. And to me, this is the truth of what's going on. It's the magic of it. It's the amazing nature of it. And it also explains so many of these things, including the things that appear to be contradictory. Hmm. You know, it brings up 5,000 questions, um, <laughs> but um, <laughs> um, one, I guess I wouldn't mind asking you, um, I, it's not something I, I said I was going to ask, but do you have a theory of what happens when we die? I, well, I see, this, play- is, this <laughs> is where I've been taken. I used to think that whether I knew it or not, there was one way that things are. You know, there's either life after death or there's not. And if there's life after death, then it's either this or this or this or this or this, and that's just the way it is, you know? What I've come to, to see with a capital S, meaning the truth, and experience with a capital E, is there isn't any one way that it is. Mm-hmm. So if, again, what I now call, what I used to call consciousness or expanded self, I now call true creative essence because to me it's a more accurate label. Um, if it wants to experience Rachel or Megan who dies and the awareness, you know, that they used to think of was Megan or Rachel or Robert or whatever, continue on and have some experience in a different dimension or whatever, then it can do that. 
And if the story's over and the story's over, and True Creative Essence says, I'm done with this character, not in a judgmental puppet way, you know, but just, you know, where's Harry Potter now? The mm-hmm. last book ended, you know, with him 18 years or whatever after beating Voldemort, and Harry Potter technically ceased to exist, you know, not really, but J.K. Rowling was done with that character. You know, nothing bad happened, it's just that story's over. So if True Creative Essence wanted to have no life after death for a particular character, it can do that. And if it wanted to create that you go to some dimension where da-da-da-da happens, it can do that. If it wanted to go into some place like you read about, you know, where their lost souls don't realize they're dead and they're stuck, you know, and they need help to be rescued and taken to the to the light, you know, they can do. True Creative Essence can write a story like that. So, but there isn't any one way. It is is my bias now. It's again, what is True Creative Essence? Who we really are? What does it want to play with and explore? And how does it want to express itself? What kind of a story does it want to experience through the eyes of a unique character? And if it's interested in something, it'll happen, and if it's not, it won't. So, But it isn't, again, one way. So what's going to happen to Robert when he dies? I don't know. It, it could mm-hmm. be any of that kind of stuff. It could be the end, and there'd be some sort of, uh, you know, merger back, or where did Harry Potter go? You know, he didn't go anywhere. Um, so it gets tricky, but the most important thing to me is the point that I made. There isn't any one way that it is. There's a million different ways, billion different ways it could be. And in terms of what's going to happen in a particular story, you just have to see how the story unfolds. There's no way to know. Hmm. That's a deep answer. As as someone who's been... (laughs) plagued with in some ways like a fear of death all my life which I finally confronted a few years ago and it led me on this really from from five years ago not knowing what the word metaphysical really meant I was analytical Megan I was an engineer you know just lived that story to ramping up to hosting a radio show with my new best friend psychic on having my own experiences it's um yeah, it's this fast thing. So the the topic of death is always fascinating to me because cause it's always been a fear of mine. I think I'm better about it, but yeah, maybe I'm always looking for a happy ending. <laughs> well, we're all conditioned to this. Okay. The big change that happened to me after knocking out a lot of cloud cover is that when I was younger, I was curious about everything, and I wanted to know answers to things like that. And what ultimately happened, and I didn't make a decision, it's going to sound like I did in the way that I narrate this, it just happened, is that all of a sudden what happened is if there's a question that I can't ever know the answer for certain about, Mm -hmm. or if there's an answer to a question that even if I could be certain that the answer was correct, it wouldn't really affect my life at all, I just stopped asking the question. Yeah, And there are so many of these questions that ultimately fall into those two categories. And if you're reading a really great novel, if you're watching a really great movie, and you're curious about what's going to happen to the hero, you have no choice but to continue turning the pages of the book or, or sitting and waiting for the movie or TV show, series, whatever it unfold. And it's the same thing ultimately with all of us for so many of these kinds of questions is you ultimately have to you know, keep turning the pages, keep allowing the story to unfold, and then it'll answer itself in a real way, not a speculation, theoretical, idea, concept way. Um, 
And again, there's no negative to this. There's no giving up of something valuable or precious and you've lost something or your life isn't as whatever as it used to be. It's all very empowering and very freeing, but that's ultimately where I was taken. And I, I, I don't know really... what's going to happen when I die, so I don't mm-hmm. concern myself with it. I live my life day to day, and when the time comes, we'll see. Yep. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you for answering that, because it is an odd question on an interview, right? What do you think happens? But that's <laughs> <laughs> that's where my head goes. Rachel, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. In terms of just not caring about those questions anymore, I can kind of relate to that, and all my life I've... I've seen things that people haven't seen and, you know, couldn't like when I explained myself to people, they didn't really understand. And it never bothered me. You know, I never cared if what I was seeing or experiencing was true or not. And I never cared if people believed me or not. Um, It was just that sense, like, it doesn't matter if it's real or not. It's just what I'm experiencing at the moment. So I kind of get that where it doesn't diminish you at all if it's not real or true. It's just your experience, and that's all it has to be. Yeah, and again, if you think of a writer of fiction, uh, a writer of fiction is omnipotent. They can make anything happen to any character in any way. They can, what I call, energize any cause-and-effect story that they want to. Truly unlimited power, and to me, who we really are is the same exact way. So it can make anything appear to be true to make a great story, you know, a unique story to create the opportunity to have a unique kind of an experience. And um, again, that's why there are so many of these different things and people that say, no, 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 this is the way it is because da-da-da happened to me or I this or that, and... All of that can be true, you know, but different stories, different purposes, different things being played with and explored in different ways, which is why things appear to work differently. Hmm. So we have a question for you from the chat from Supernatural Radio, and uh, he or she writes, what is success to Robert? Well, see, this is one of those funny things. There's two levels of success. There's at what I call the story level, and there's at what I call the truth level. At the truth level, there's no such thing as success and failure, because the author is writing the story that it wants to write. It's unfolding. It's experiencing exactly what it wanted to experience and doesn't make mistakes, you know. Uh, There's no failure for J.K. Rowling based on what happened in the story. You know, she wrote the story she wanted to write. The characters said and did what she wanted them to do. So at the truth level, the highest level of truth, there's no such thing as success or failure. Uh, There's just what's the story about. And there's all kinds of stories about heroes, you know, that get the prize at the end, and there's stories about heroes that don't, or there's stories about heroes that have da-da-da-da goal, and they don't get that goal, but they realize there was another goal that was more important, and they get that one, and so there's... So at the truth level, there's no such thing. To me, at the story level, success and failure is simply about the same kind of a thing. It's that you do what your character was written to do. And at the story level, that can be setting goal A and going through a whole journey to get from point A to point B, which is getting goal A. It's It's just the story unfolding the way it was meant to unfold. 
there's so much stuff in mainstream psychology and, and self-help and also metaphysical and esoteric stuff about, you know, everything's perfect exactly the way it is, and there's all kinds of things that we think are failure that aren't, you know. So many things that would have been called failure and that I consider to be failure on my journey. If they hadn't happened, I wouldn't be where I am now, which is experiencing, a, you know, if I hadn't had all kinds of failures, I never would have reached that desperation point I described before. So to me, success and failure are myths. But at the story level, there can be certain things that you could say you know, I set this goal and I ended up achieving it in my story. You could say Harry Potter was a success because he defeated Voldemort. But you could also say that some of the characters that died helping to defeat Voldemort were a success because they played their role in helping to defeat Voldemort. So when you really dig beneath the surface, success and failure don't mean much. But there can be stories related to them within a story if there was a particular goal and that goal was achieved. But it gets really murky when you really pull back the curtain. And there's a lot of this, again, in metaphysical kinds of teachings, that there's no such thing as a mistake and there's no such thing as failure. It's all contributing. But at the story level, a character can succeed in achieving a particular goal. Uh, but it gets tricky. It gets murky. So to me... There really isn't any such thing anymore. There's just the story. The story's going to unfold. Things are going to happen. It's going to move where it moves. It's going to end the way it ends, and there isn't any such thing. Except in a story that the mind tells, you know? Yeah. Wow. That's such, so, <laughs> Robert, what do you read these days? Because it must feel like when you read other books, I don't do you still feel like you have stuff to learn? Do you see through most books are are kind of simplified or not are living in phase 1? Do you know what I'm saying versus is it hard to find things to challenge you? No, I I mean I go in waves. There are times I don't mm -hmm. read much at all. There are times I read a bunch of biographies in a phase. There are times I'll mm -hmm. read a different. I don't read self-help stuff anymore. I don't read metaphysical stuff anymore. I don't read what mm -hmm. would typically be called spiritual books very much unless I discover something like, for example, in the, the latest teaching that I share that Rachel knows about that's called The Ultimate Key to Freedom. There are teachings that are in that, that are in the arena of what we're talking about here. And I happen to discover an ancient Chinese, what would be called spiritual teacher, I mean, he lived hundreds of years ago. And he spoke in Chinese, you know, So, but some, some uh, scrolls supposedly were found in a cave, and an American was told about them, and he translated these scrolls of this ancient Chinese teacher, whose name is Wu Xin. And I just find that this Wu Xin guy was talking about stuff hundreds of years ago. Now, again, he's just a character in a story, you know, but... Mm -hmm. that really align with where I was taken on this journey. So I, I've read every single book that's been written about, uh, that's been sharing these teachings of this Wu Sin guy, because to me it completely supports where I've been taken on this journey. So that's the only exception. But I don't read things trying to find some magic formula to manifest what I want in my life and to, to try and figure out who I am, you know, or what's really going on with this human. I don't experience, I don't read that kind of stuff. There are times I'll read a nonfiction book on a particular topic, 
I'm fulfilling mm-hmm. a dream right now of writing a novel. I actually have a series mm-hmm. of six novels planned, and I'm working on the first one. And so I've been studying the art of writing fiction and the art of storytelling and things like that. And um, But I go in spurts. There are times I don't read much of anything. Um, and I'm always aware of the fact that all of it is stories, and all of it is things that are just showing up in my story to support my story, but not putting an awful lot of stock in it again or thinking this is the way it is or this is whatever. Yeah, yeah. I kind of, that's what I expected to hear. So that's interesting. And I, I go through the same thing. I go through waves. And I love that Rachel asked me a while back, have you outgrown anything? <laughs> and it's true. You You kind of go on these spurts and then you realize, a bigger picture in something and then you just lose interest. Um, do you ever feel a little detached? Like sometimes I think I, I, with this new awareness, I, I look around at maybe my friends and some of the chaos and the drama that they're living in every day. And um, I feel a little detached from it. Like it's just a crazy story that they're living in and, and spiraling. And um, is it interesting for you to watch other people and, do you want to oh step yeah, I'm fascinated <laughs> by everybody and everything. I, if I were to, if if I get really interested in somebody, like I'll give you an example. I was at a party a couple of months ago, and there's a guy there who's a doctor, and he specializes in helping people, couples who can't have kids. You know, they're having issues with fertility and stuff. And I interrogated him for about two hours at this party because things have really changed in that in that industry in terms of being able to figure out what's wrong and all this stuff. And then he was telling me there sometimes it really is a physical thing and sometimes it's an emotional thing. You know, one of the parents doesn't really want to have kids and it's psychological. And he was telling me all of this stuff. And I, I'm fascinated by just about everything. Um, I'm not interested in politics, and I'm not interested in what most people would call small talk. You mm-hmm. know, I'm not so interested yeah. in sports anymore and stuff. But if you mm-hmm. get into the nitty-gritty of what people's lives are like and what their paths have been like and different slices of life, again, like this doctor or other people that are doing I'm fascinated by just about everything and just about every one. Even if it's, you know, when I say this, it sounds like I'm being judgmental and I don't mean it that way. But there are times I've been in a building and there's been a janitor cleaning up the building and I, for whatever reason, have engaged them in conversation and found out about their character and their story and that was fascinating or a bus driver or a... This whole human story has become beyond fascinating to me. I was always kind of like that, but I'm much more like that now. But no, I... To me, in terms of feeling detached or whatever, sometimes people think that that's what's happening and it isn't really true. It's just an illusion. And sometimes it is true, but in general, it's a a blip. It's a way station on the road into truth fully awakening because to my bias, when you're really experiencing the truth of things, it couldn't be more opposite to detached. You know, you Mm -hmm. couldn't be more involved with everything. It's just that you're more involved with everything in a radically different way, Mm -hmm. but not detached Mm -hmm. at all or disassociated or anything like that. It's exactly, you know, it couldn't be more opposite in terms of Mm -hmm. what I've experienced and seen other people experience. Mm -hmm. Well, we have a bunch of questions on the phone. I think, is it okay if we take one, Robert? Whatever you want. Great. Okay. So I'm going to 860-515. Hi, Rachel. Hi, Megan. It's Rebecca. 
Hi. Hi, Rebecca. Do you have a question mm. for Robert? Yes, I do, Robert. Oh, my God, this is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I um, I read the Busting Loose book back in March, and uh, I, I kind of – it seems like I have this pattern of doing the phase two material in cycles because when you sent out the Journey to the Infinite um, videos, I – I hadn't really done much of the the phase two work in a while, and then I kind of got back into it. And I have I have so many questions, but I'm just I'm gonna pick one. Um, so I, it seems like when I when I do phase two, um, and I get to a point like you talk about the movie The Game a lot, and how you know it's supposed to part of the design is that you get taken to this really intense place. Um, I find that when I get to that intense place, um, the phase three stuff kind of comes into my sphere of awareness and I feel motivated to switch to that, but then I get confused. So like if you're experiencing something like that, do you, is there a way to kind of combine phase two and phase three, or would you recommend just doing phase three, um, well, first of all, I have to explain how I see Phase 1, Phase 2, and Phase 3. Phase 1 is about the cloud cover being built. It's about unique, limiting and restricting, opposite to who you really are, stories and dynamics locking in, and then having all kinds of experiences of limitation and restriction and being opposite to who you really are. That's what Phase 1 is about building the cloud cover and living with the cloud cover in place, which blocks out either a knowledge of or experience of the son of who you really are. The way I, I language it now, and this came after the Busting Loose book was written, so this isn't in the book. The way I look at phase two now is that phase two is the drilling operation. Phase two is when you go into the cloud cover and using the tools, you systematically undermine the structural integrity of it, drill tunnels and poke holes and knock out chunks so that more and more of the sun can shine in. And to me, phase three is when you're playing in the sunshine. You're not using the tools anymore. There's no more cloud cover that's limiting or restricting you. That doesn't mean that you have finger-snapping magic, but it just means that the cloud cover that was limiting you is no longer limiting you. And um, so it isn't really, to me, a question of when the going gets tough do a phase three whatever, because if the going is perceived as being tough in that way, then you're in phase two, you're not in phase three, and you can't mix the two. But in the book, it was really just phase one and phase two, and I combined the drilling operation and playing in the sunshine and called them both phase two. And then when I actually began to experience more and more of the sunshine, I realized, wow, this is so different from the drilling then I need to break it out, give it another label, and talk about it differently, which is when I then started talking about phase three. So phase two is about drilling through the cloud cover, undermining the structural integrity of it, and doing something that allows more and more sunshine to shine in. And I never found anything other than the tools that I shared that did that for me. So I have a bias about that. But the truth is anything that's done that's undermining the structural integrity of the cloud cover is doing the phase two work, is the drilling operation, and but then phase two is when you're just playing in a radically different way. You all still there? 
Yep. yep. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. There was okay. a little... And the way I invite people to look at this is imagine that you're in phase one and a magical portal opens up in the air. And it's a, it's a portal that takes you from phase one to phase two. And imagine, it's like the portal on my website, if you've ever seen the logo at the top. There's this portal that opens up in space. Imagine you walk through that. You're now in phase two. And then that portal seals itself up and phase one's gone. You're now in a phase two world. And then you do whatever you're going to do in a phase two world, and then imagine that a phase three portal opens, and you go through it, and then the phase three portal seals itself up, and you're now in a phase three world. These portals don't open and close, and you don't go through them, and then they open up and you go backwards. You know, it's, it's all or nothing. You're either in phase one or you're not. You're either in phase two or you're not, and you're either in phase three or you're not. And if you're in phase three, it's all about play and having a radically different relationship to everything that happens inside of you and outside of you. And as long as you're in phase two, stuff's happening to help you exchange lies, illusions, and stories for truth, knock out the cloud cover however you want to language it. But it's an all-or-nothing kind of a thing. That's how I see it and have experienced it. Mm Mm-hmm. I remember you mentioned that even in Journey to the Infinite, that you don't really go back and forth. It's it's a forward progression. Does that answer your question, Rebecca? Yeah, yeah, it definitely does. When I, I when I was referring to Phase Three, I was talking about the um, the material in the the Ultimate Key to Freedom books and uh, with letting the the Truth Virus you know dismantle the mind machine. I was equating that with Phase Three, but your explanation definitely has made it more clear. Well, that can happen, too. Again, for me, as I mentioned at the beginning, my journey was very sequential. And after using the tools for a long time and knocking out a lot of cloud cover, I began to see things in the sunshine. And one of the things I saw was what I call the truth about emotions. And that's what was written in the happiness book. But if somebody, uh, ultimate key to happiness that you're referring to. But I've shared this stuff with people who now have that as an option like you're talking about and then have the busting loose stuff. And all you have to do is just, and this may not make sense to people listening that haven't read The Ultimate Key to Happiness, but in the Phase 2 teachings, it's all about using the process when you're uncomfortable. Um, Mm -hmm. And in, in the happiness book, you realize there isn't really any such thing as uncomfortable so you just have to change it to you use the process whenever there's a, a big amount of emotion moving. But then everything mm-hmm. else is the same. So there's some slight adjustments that can be made, and people can still use the Phase 2 tools and embrace that model. And then there are other people that uh, can make the leap from Phase 2 into Phase 3 without having to use those tools for as many years as I did and having stuff like the game and all the other stuff. And that's what the ultimate key to happiness and ultimate key to freedom work is all about. Um, It's things that weren't possible for me on my journey, but are possible for people now because of my journey and and what I'm now sharing and offering. So two possibilities. One could be that someone's journey through the cloud cover in phase two would include a long-term use of those tools like it was for me, or it could be that they discover those tools they do a little bit of work in the cloud cover and then discover what you're calling the phase three stuff, and that's what would knock out the rest of the cloud cover. But the same thing is still true. You know, you're either in phase one completely or not. You're either in phase two completely or not. 
you're either in phase three completely or not, even if there's a set of tools that you're using that can take you into phase three faster in a different way, it's still all or nothing. Does that make sense? Yes. Awesome. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks, Rebecca. And I should say that um, Robert's generously giving away his course, Journey to the Infinite, which is multimedia, lots of videos, great information. Even if you've read the Busting Loose books, it's definitely recommended that you watch this. Uh, You can go to robertscheinfeld.com slash register dash journey dash infinite. And we do have that link on the Blog Talk Radio site, and it'll be on the Soulful Printer website, too. Thank you for making that available, by the way. Yeah, the other thing, if it's hard for people to remember that, is if you go to my website, robertscheinfeld.com, there's a search box in the upper right-hand corner, and just type Journey to the Infinite there, and then you'll get up a link to what you just said if you can't remember the, or you don't get the blog talk radio or whatever. You can still find it easily on the website. Excellent. Yeah, I love the program. And, Robert, I love your sense of humor which I think it's so important to me. Humor is huge. So you're a great presenter, and and you make it fun. Well, thank you. And I'm just a character in a story that it's been built to be that way, you know. Well, I honest to God, I didn't when it was happening, and I don't now, you know. I don't take any personal credit for any of this stuff. It just happened. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The Busting Mm -hmm. Loose book, in a sense, wrote itself, and I was kind of the scribe, like, uh, if you know the story, just because I used the example of J.K. Rowling, the story of Harry Potter pretty much downloaded into her mind, and she just wrote it out. It isn't always yeah. like that with fiction writers, but it really was mostly like this thing was pouring through me as it appeared, and I was writing it all down. But I, I don't take personal responsibility for it, and I certainly don't put myself up on any kind of a pedestal. But the way I actually experienced it was, it just happened. And I happen to be the character that happened to bring it through, but it's still ultimately a story written by the big author that we've been talking about, and I'm just the character that does certain things. Again, like Harry's the one that had the unique ability to defeat Voldemort, I was taken on a unique path and ended up sharing what I consider to be unique stuff. But again, nothing special about me. I'm just a character in an unusual story, like we all are, but this story happened to be about truth and a different take on it, you could say. Yeah. Well, you've been very helpful, I know, to me and Rachel and so many people, so we're we're fortunate that that information came through. How does it feel writing your, your fiction book? That must be, is it harder because, you know, it wasn't a big download? You're, you're developing that creatively yourself. You said you're studying um, the art of writing. and um, you, Well, that's the interesting in- thing. That's the interesting thing. Every nonfiction book that I've written, and I've written five of them, and I'm working on an Ultimate Key to Freedom book now, which is you could call it the sixth. What has always happened in my story is I just get taken over by this creative wave, and the next thing you know is I perceive it. This thing is pouring through me. And uh, there can appear to be editing and tweaking and, no, 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 I don't like that. I wanted to say it this way or that's not clear enough and that kind of stuff. But bottom line, it's something that, pours through me and I'm aware of the fact that that's really what's going to happen and has been happening with this novel 
But I also am just curious about those kinds of things. So the reality is, you know, J.K. Rowling wrote this amazing story. I don't believe, although I could be wrong, I don't believe she studied the art of storytelling or studied how to write great fiction. The story just came through her. The story could have just come through me. But as it turns out, I'm looking at some of these kinds of things. And ironically, Rachel, you'll discover this. There's some things about the art of storytelling that are really relevant to Phase 3 and to um, Ultimate Freedom, which is what I call the experience of the sunshine purely shining. So there were uses of it from that thing. But I just, I'm having a blast. And when these energies come, I type stuff out. I narrate stuff into an audio recorder. I do whatever I do. Um, and, and when the energy's not there, I don't work on it. And But I'm having a blast. And at the story level, I could write nonfiction in my sleep. Um, it's very easy for me, but fiction's different. And mm-hmm. it isn't something that I can write in my sleep whether it pours through me or not it's a different thing so it's a it's a different kind of an experience and i'm having fun going through seeing what comes through and going through the pieces of the story that appear to be me learning a new skill (laughs) but it's fun and i i'm not sure i i really don't know who knows but i feel like the ultimate key to freedom may be my last nonfiction book that i'll ever write and that the only other books i'll write after that will be fiction that's kind of the vision I have, which could be wrong, but that's the vision I have. So I'm looking forward to that. And we'll see what happens. I don't know. We'll see, <laughs> we'll see how it unfolds. Yes, we will. <laughs> cool. Well, we don't want to take advantage of your time, Robert. Um, I know we could both talk to you for <laughs> for an oh, infinite yeah. amount of time, but really just thank you so much for for speaking with us and and sharing what you're up to these days, and uh, we really appreciate it. It's my pleasure. I'm happy to spend some more time if you have it on your show and there are other questions or we can end, whatever it is. Yeah, we'd love to keep going. We have a bunch more questions on the phone. Absolutely. Great. So I'll take the next one. And this is 281615. You're on the air with Robert. Hey, Rachel, it's Patty. Hey, Patty, how are you? I'm good. I have to say this show has been incredible, and it's shed so much light for me. Thank you, Robert. Uh, I read an excerpt from your book or your teachings every morning, and I keep getting clearer and clearer. And there's one, this is a question, and it's, it's probably a really basic question, but perhaps because it is a lot of other people might be experiencing it too. I'm definitely in phase two, and the weirdest, most uncomfortable stuff has been happening to me for a little over a year. Just just to let you know, I can do the process many, many times a day. But there's also kind of like in reading it, and this is what I'm working with in myself because of letting go of judgment, there's kind of an expectation if you do all this stuff, then you get to this huge, expanded, no-limit space where money's not an issue, where everything's just creative bliss. And you also say that time, how long it takes to get there doesn't matter. But what if you, like, what if your creative story... Uh, has been set up to be kind of um, 
crappy and frustrating until you're dead. <laughs> Which is what goes through my mind when I get really like really discouraged or frustrated. Like so I don't know. Is there some way you can address that that would because I I find myself negotiating don't think you know, don't worry about that, just go with it. And at the same time that that story gets into my head fairly regularly. Well, to me, it's a very complicated story. Um, To me, if someone is in a phase one story and what you're calling crappy stuff happens, it's about one thing. If somebody is in phase two and what you're calling crappy stuff happens, then it's about drilling through the cloud covers. Or you could say, lack of a better term, there's purpose to it. And the goal is to get to, it isn't really, but it appears to be a better place. Right. If it's in phase three, you're playing in the sunshine and stuff happened. And, and, and this is not something that the mind will accept until it experiences it. And then the mind just shuts up because it doesn't need to be giving its opinions in phase three. But in phase three, if the stuff happened that you're calling crappy stuff, of course it isn't crappy stuff in phase one, phase two, or phase three. But if that kind of stuff happened in phase three, the relationship to it would be completely different and it wouldn't be looked at that way. Everybody on this phone has read, on this call, has read novels that they loved and that they were riveted by and that they couldn't go to sleep because they just wanted to see what was going to happen, where crappy stuff was happening to the hero. We've all watched movies that were just, we'd say, oh, my God, that was such a great movie. You have to go see that. And either at certain points or through most of it, crappy stuff, and what you're calling that were happening to the character. And But we didn't perceive it that way. As the reader of the story, we didn't perceive it that way as the watcher of the movie. And in phase three, you don't perceive it in that kind of a judgmental way. But the same kind of stuff could happen. But it would be, oh, my God, this is an amazing experience. This is an amazing opportunity to have unique thoughts and feelings and to have things happen with the body and with other people and stuff in this particular scenario. And the judgment's gone. Um, But... You know, it's like it was mentioned before that I recommend that people watch this movie called The Game with Michael Douglas. And for people that haven't seen that movie, it's the movie about a guy that you you talked about before. I don't remember if it was Megan or Rachel about being um, detached from stuff. And it was about a character that because of childhood wounding got really shut down. And he was very rich, but he was very wealthy, but he was very shut down. And his brother was worried about him. And the reality is, if the brother had just come up to the guy and tapped him on the shoulder and said, hey, bud, you're turning into an asshole, you know? Wake up. You need to change the way you're being, you know? The guy wouldn't have done anything. He wouldn't have changed. But when things happened that really caused, pushed on stuff, and which is what happens on the journey through phase two, Um, then it creates the opportunity to undermine the cloud cover and have different kinds of experiences. Very often that's what's required in a unique story. It's not a universal required. And so a lot of times the things that we call crappy, the things that we call difficult in phase two are what's necessary to knock out the cloud cover. If it was gentler, you know, we would still be 
with the lies, illusions, and stories, and for them to get knocked out and shattered, it very often takes a very aggressive kind of a play, and so that's what tends to happen. Anyway, I could spend hours on this particular question, too, but again, if it was in phase one, that kind of stuff has one purpose. If it's in phase two, that kind of stuff has a different purpose. And in phase three, to whatever extent that kind of stuff continues, there's a different relationship with it. And for a lot of people, that kind of stuff, even if you wouldn't use that language, doesn't have to happen anymore because it's not useful. It's not needed. So the storyline changes. You know, it's like if you look at the Harry Potter story, the odds are after he defeated Voldemort, the rest of his life was not so difficult and traumatic. But it had to be for that particular part of the story to unfold. I mean, he had a pretty tough life in those, you know, seven years, constantly in danger, constantly, you know, almost being killed and the most powerful evil force in the universe trying to get him. And, I mean, it was a pretty tough, negative, crappy life, you could say. But then that wasn't needed anymore, you know, after that was over. So these kinds of things can happen, but there's no guarantee. The only guarantee is in phase three, my current language is when ultimate freedom is awake, the relationship that you have to everything that happens inside of you and everything that happens outside of you is radically different. And things like crappy, good, bad, pleasurable, painful, all these kinds of things don't occur anymore. Not because they occur and you talk yourself out of them, you know, with some what I call enlightened overlay. You just don't perceive it that way. It's not a thinking thing. You just don't perceive it that way. You don't perceive it that way and use some technique to transform it. You just don't experience those kinds of polarities anymore. And everything is just an amazing story, no matter how it's unfolding, that gives an opportunity for unique thoughts, feelings, and, and uh, sensations inside of you and, and unique experiences outside of you and with the body and with other people and whatever. That's awesome. Does that help, Patty? It does help. In fact, it makes a lot of difference because what's been, what I've been trying, working to let go of is expectations and getting out of that judgment and well, let me say something about that, and this is heavily influenced by my bias, but it, it's also just rampant in self-help, whether it's mainstream or it's spiritual and metaphysical. My bias is, until you knock out enough cloud cover, judgment isn't going to go away. The kind of stuff that you just talked about that you said I'm working on, you know, isn't going to go away. You can't technique those kinds of things away. They go away when you knock out enough cloud cover and more sun is shining. They go away naturally. But as long as the cloud cover is in place, my bias is it's never going to happen because it's the cloud cover stuff that's putting it there. And until you knock out the cloud cover, those kinds of things don't change and don't go away. It can seem like they do. Uh, but they don't. That's my bias. There can be exceptions to this in unique stories, of course. But that's my bias from my own experience and seeing tens of thousands of people on this journey now from all over the world is that there's all these rules and formulas and techniques that you can supposedly use to make these bad things or bad habits or whatever you want to call it go away, but they never seem to work. 
But when you knock out enough cloud cover and enough sunshine, using that metaphor shines in, then those things disappear, but not by you wanting them to or efforting or techniquing them to go away. They just disappear. But whenever you're trying to make them disappear, they never seem to. That's my experience. But there's an endless number of things you should do to make them go away, but my bias is they never do. That's why ultimately, if you were on earlier, that's why I got pushed to that point of desperation because it was like, come on. I've tried so many things. I've put in so much time, energy, and money trying to change and fix and improve and stop judging and this and that, and nothing works, you know. I don't even feel like trying anything else anymore. It's obvious, you know, again, there's something else. but it's So anyway, I used to say that there's so many people out there that say, I'm working on, you know, dissolving judgment. I'm working on this, that, or the other, but until you knock out enough cloud cover, none of it works. But when you knock out enough cloud cover, just to repeat myself again, that kind of stuff naturally dissolves or transforms or whatever word you want to use without you trying to or setting it as an outcome or struggling with it. They just, it's not in the sunshine, that kind of stuff. So it doesn't appear. Anyway, there's so many things out there that say, set this goal, use this technique, use this path, and you can da-da-da-da, and... I like to push on that because it just doesn't seem to be true. Mm-hmm. But the flip of it is it goes away on its own on this path when you knock out enough cloud cover without yeah. it being a goal or a target or an intention. It just happens. Patty, it just sounds like there's more more power and some eggs there for you because oh, you're there's observing. there's definitely some eggs. <laughs> So just keep going that. after that. <laughs> and I and do, the other, and thing, I, I, the other yeah. thing I'd like to add, too, and again, Harry Potter is just such a great example for so many things. Harry <laughs> Potter wanted to defeat Voldemort in the first book. It didn't happen until the very end of the seventh book. The reason is because there's all these things that needed to happen in the story. For him and for Voldemort and for other characters, there were all these things that had needed to happen before that was written into the story. If if we had all picked up the first Harry Potter book and, you know, I don't know, I guess it was maybe 300 pages, and uh, on page whatever, 100, Harry Potter, you know, saw Voldemort and swung his wand and said some magic spell and Voldemort died, it wouldn't be a good story. But it was a good story with the twists and turns and all the stuff that happened through all the books. And so many of us would, you know, if consciousness or whatever you want to call it, were to say, hey, I'll snap my finger, knock out all the cloud cover, and put you into phase three right now. Or you can have a journey over five years, four years, three years. You know, for me, it was about eight years in phase two. And then I'll give you the goodies. You know, which one would you take? Most of us, based on cloud cover, would take the finger snapping, make it immediate, because we're so fed up, you know, with what we've been struggling with. But the reality is this is all about stories and this is about experiences and this is about journeys. And if you have finger-snapping magic, instant movement from point A to point B, you cheat yourself out of that. So if you're going to move through the cloud cover, you're going to move from phase two to phase three, the odds are 
It's going to unfold with a story, with twists and turns, with things that happen that unfold over time. And if you're like I was, you know, the mind resists that and fights that and says, enough of this. I've been struggling with this my whole life. Screw it. I just want all this bad stuff gone, and I want all the good stuff present. And enough is already, you know. I paid my dues. I've done my whatever. Now I just want the goodies. But when it's all said and done, as difficult as things got for me, I wouldn't trade one second of it. And I'm glad as hell that it wasn't finger-snapping magic and that my grandfather didn't give it all to me on a silver platter when I was 12. I wouldn't trade one second of the story. But the thing is, again, if there's a point A, there's a point B in your story, the odds are the journey's going to unfold over time with a lot of interesting opportunities, and it isn't going to happen immediately. And what I've seen for myself and thousands of people all over the world is, no matter how difficult it gets, when they look back on the journey from whatever the point A was to the point B, their appreciation is just through the roof. But not when they're in the middle of it. And that isn't the way it was with me. I felt like giving up so many times. Didn't think I had the strength to continue. But now, wow. Anyway, I just wanted to add that. This is all about stories, and they unfold over time with twists and turns and other things. And that's the way the journey through the cloud cover tends to as well. And I'll add one other thing just quickly. There aren't many of these that I'm aware of. There may be some that people listening are aware of, but there have been some stories of people who were going about their business and they were living their lives, and then all of a sudden, boom, something happened. And all of a sudden they were, whatever, awake, illuminated, enlightened, whatever word you want. There was massive shift. I would call it in my language instant instant dissolution of the cloud cover. It was a finger-snapping kind of an event. And it was so disorienting and it was so confusing that these people would say it took them multiple years to be able to adjust to the radical fast change. So even if it was finger-snapping fast like that, there still tends to be a journey that unfolds over time anyway. Um, That's just the way this, this beast seems to be because that's what makes a great story and a great experience. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Yeah, that was great. That's awesome. There's an awesome documentary that I love, and you can get it on Netflix called Wake Up. And I know the boy's last name is Elrod, I believe. It's like Jason Elrod, but he had one of those, you know, transformations like that, pretty instant, and uh, it's fascinating. So people listening might want to check that one out. Yeah, there's a woman I'm aware of. Her name's Katie Davis. And she has a famous story about that. She was a yoga instructor. She had no interest in spiritual things or awakening or enlightenment or anything like that. And all of a sudden she woke up one day or whatever and whammo. And she actually said it took her eight years to adjust. Wow. Yeah. To that radical shift. And she wasn't seeking it out either, you know. It isn't like she was seeking it out and then it happened, whammo. It, she wasn't even looking for that. She was just enjoying what she was doing. And then I'm pretty sure that's what she said. It took her eight years to be able to adjust to that radical shift in her life. It's a fascinating story. Yeah, yeah. I can't say that happened exactly to me, but in some ways I can really relate to that. Because like I said, five years ago, this was not my my sphere <laughs> at all. <laughs> And now it's like I speak a different language. So it's it's interesting how it unfolds. Yeah. So, yeah. Rachel, 
Do we have any other questions, Rachel? We do. Yeah, thank you so much, Patty, by the way. Oh, thank you. And it just goes back to the fact that, you know, our thoughts can't create our things because she wasn't thinking about that, right? Yeah, yeah but again, if you to... look at your life with brutal honesty, you just you see that that's more often the case. Mm-hmm. There's the stuff that you wanted that doesn't happen. There's the stuff that you were afraid of that doesn't happen. And then there are all these things that happen that you never thought of, never would have thought about in a million years yeah. that happen. And so it doesn't take a lot of work to realize that that's a myth, but it's a sexy myth. It is. To a lot of people <laughs> with, with cloud cover phase one dynamics in place, feeling powerless, disliking their lives to be told, hey, you got power. And all you got to do is change your your thoughts, change your beliefs, use this technique, do this or that, and you can create anything you want. It's a very appealing message for in a phase one world, number one, and because it's all about stories, the trying to do these different kinds of things and whatever happens and them not working, and different, it creates great opportunities for great human game, human story experiences. And so it's great raw material for stories, but... It's a very appealing message, which is why we all get so sucked into it, my bias, and why we keep trying different techniques and different paths when so many of them continue to fail, to fail is because we, we're holding out hope that maybe we can have that kind of power, that maybe we really can change our lives, and all right, well, that stuff didn't work, but maybe this new technique will. And It's a very seductive message, but if you look at it and you look at your own life, there are exceptions. There are people that will say, I used the law of attraction, I visualized, I did this, I did that, and I got this, 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 and this. There's a lot of stories like that, but if you really push on those, and I have done this a lot in my life, including when I worked with Tony Robbins way back when, those are the exceptions. But if you were to say to people, okay, how many times did you try these techniques and got what you wanted, and how many times did you try and you didn't? Most of the times you try and you don't, even though from time to time it appears to work. But if somebody told you a technique was magical and it never worked, it wouldn't be seductive, it wouldn't be sexy, it wouldn't people wouldn't do it. So that's why, to my bias, these things occur in phase one the way they do, because when they do appear to work sometimes, um, then all of a sudden it's, well, then maybe it'll work for me. And then you can go down roads and have all kinds of experience. If it always failed, uh, it, you couldn't do that. So the way the stories are written, they work sometimes enough to give hope, but not enough to change the phase one dynamic. And it doesn't ultimately change mm-hmm. till you move into phase two, you knock out enough cloud cover, and then you have the opportunity to go in phase three. Anyway, I'm rambling, but these are all important mm-hmm. points to me. Yeah. Awesome. So, and you can ramble here anytime, Robert. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> um, we have a question from 337422. Hi. Hello. Hi. This is Casey. Hey, Casey. How are you? What's your question? I'm good. So, I do have a question, and uh, but I got to speak to what you were just speaking about. Um, because all this energy was just rushing through my body um, about having this uh, almost instantaneous shift, because that that was my experience. 
about six years ago where like I started meditating and reading the power now and then like a month later even now as I speak about it and take a breath I had this experience where I just I just felt love pouring through me right just boom it was like getting pulled out of the matrix and I could that's the only way that I could describe it and it's six years ago and I'm still trying to deal with this and I think what you were speaking to Robert about this stuff and spirituality and self-help is so much of it is such crap it's like trying to get us to fix ourselves and we don't need to fix ourselves and it's really kind of led me astray from the experience that I had six years ago it kind of took me on this although that's part of the story I guess right (laughs) that you're saying so I'm just glad that that you spoke about that because just something was moving through me and it felt really good uh, to know that uh, that's that's a real experience because I've been wondering about this for a long time and so my question is, like, what does happen whenever somebody, a character from the story, realizes that they're in a story? Does that give them now, are they co-creating the story now, or are they just stepping out of the way and letting the story unfold? It's a very difficult thing to explain, and ultimately no explanation does any good until you actually experience it. I do this this event live now that's called The Ultimate Key to Freedom, and there's also an online course version of it that's available, and it's designed to facilitate somebody actually having the experience of the answer to that, not an idea or a concept being given. Yeah. So it's a very difficult thing to soundbite, but, but um, no, you're not a co-creator, but your relationship to everything is radically different. And the other thing that I just want to say, and I know you didn't really mean it this way, and I totally get where you're coming from, because from a certain perspective I felt the same thing, but it's not that self-help is crap, and it's not that there's anything wrong with the teachers or the people that share these things that ultimately don't work. It's all magnificent, and it all is amazing raw material for great stories, great experiences. If crap means they don't work, then yes, they're crap. If crap means they say this is the way the world works and that isn't the way the world works, then yes, it's crap. But it's all useful. And, you know, in my story, I could have ended up where I am right now, what I'm calling phase three, and never tried any self-help technique and never had it fail. You know, it's not like it's required. But this Robert Scheinfeld story has been extraordinary, and it's been extraordinary by not knowing anything about that stuff and then discovering it and being excited and then trying and then noticing that it didn't work. And then all the, I mean, it, it, it made for just like with Harry Potter taking seven books to defeat Voldemort, going through all of this, embracing these things, getting to that point of desperation. I mean, it, it was an amazing story. And all of it is brilliant amazing stuff that was created yes that it it was not true 
And yes, ultimately the techniques didn't work. And yes, ultimately I had to abandon looking at the world the way that I did. But that doesn't make that crap, and it doesn't make me stupid, and it doesn't make anybody that's still following those things or believing in them stupid or wrong. It's just stories. You know, if you were to go to Amazon, if you were to go to a big bookstore and you were to go into the fiction section and look at all the books on the shelves, they're all about these different stories and amazing things happening to unique characters. And some of them would include techniques that didn't work, and some of them would be about spiritual path and this kind of stuff, and some of them wouldn't. But it's all just stories. And the self-help stuff, you know, the dead ends of it, the quicksand of it, all of that is is great raw material for amazing stories. And um, there's something else that you said that I wanted to address, but it has escaped me. Um, but no, and my bias is the reason that so much of us want the ending to be that we end up being a co-creator or that we end up getting to have some power that we end up getting to be able to choose. My bias is that that's coming from the mind, and it's coming from the mind being so fed up with being powerless that it's just desperate. It's almost like a whiny little kid that's actually saying, when do I get to decide? You know? (laughs) (laughs) But it isn't coming from any place real, and, and I don't know a single character where what I my language now is where ultimate freedom awakened in their story or phase three you know they're playing in the sunshine that has any desire to be the decision maker or to be in control or to be able to choose it just it just goes away it's not in the sunshine but I think the reason it's there and the reason there's still a hunger for it or curiosity about it is because of the powerlessness of phase one And when the sun begins to shine and you begin to experience the truth of it, and part of the truth is you are the author. As I mentioned before, you can't separate the character from the author. You can't, and you really have a sense of that, not as an idea, but as an experience. All this stuff just goes away. As long as it's an idea or a concept, then the mind can argue with it. It can say, yeah, but, or what about this, or what about that, or I agree, or I disagree. When it's an experience, all of that goes away because you're just experiencing what the truth of it is. And as I said, speaking a little bluntly, the mind shuts up. Yes. There's nothing to argue with or wonder about anymore when you're actually experiencing the truth of something. The mind can even uh, say that it's enlightened, right? Like, I am enlightened. This is what it is if if you're not in the actual experience of it. That's what you're saying, something like that? It's in that family, yeah. Again, that's a big, that's another long discussion, but uh, what phase three really is, what enlightenment really means, you know, how does the individual fit into it? It's a, but it takes care of itself when things become experiential, and that's been, one of the other unique aspects of this Robert story and what, what I've been sharing is, is, and what I've been seeking as a writer, teacher, whatever you want to call it. And it's still just a story, but it, at the story level, it's how can I facilitate the experience of truth awakening in somebody? Not just ideas and concepts and, you know, but what can actually happen that awakens the actual experience of it? And 
at the story level, that's what I've been seeking for a long time, to have the experience myself and then to be able to help other people have it, but not just to tell them a bunch of stuff that's true, to support the actual experience of it awakening. And, And that's where all of this takes care of itself. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, Casey. Thank you, Casey. And Casey, I'll say that um, the course he's referring to, the ultimate key to freedom, I'm halfway through, and you really do experience it. He makes it really easy to find what he's talking about in yourself and in your story and everything, and actual, you know, feeling of it, having the experience of it. So, yeah, check that out if, if that sounds cool for you. All right, so um, we have a question from the chat. Mysterious Mysteries says, I was wondering about following desires. If someone really wants to travel to Hawaii, but they don't have the money, can they trust that as long as they start the journey and keep applying the process to any negative feelings that come up, will it work out for them? There's no guarantee of that, no. Again, that's bad news for a lot of people. It's not to me. (laughs) There are a number of reasons for that. The first level of the reason for that is a lot of times what we call a desire is a distortion that's coming from cloud cover. And it isn't what you really want, and it isn't something that would really give you whatever the benefits are that you think it would. It's a distortion that's coming from, in my language, cloud cover dynamics and it wouldn't really float your boat, it wouldn't really be the great thing. So to me, anytime there's a desire for something that appears, to my bias, there's a question mark after it. Okay, I'm aware of a desire for da-da-da-da, you know, we'll see what happens. But so much of the time in phase one anyway, and even continuing into phase two, it's a phantom, you know. It's coming from some sort of distortion. Um. And when you're experiencing truth and you've knocked out enough cloud cover, a lot of those desires, over time, they all just vanish because they were phantoms. But there's all kinds of stories, you know. Somebody had a desire for da-da-da-da. They worked for weeks. They worked for months. They worked for years in order to experience it, and they finally got this thing that they wanted, and then there was an emptiness in it or there was some joy and pleasure, whatever, for a very brief period of time, sometimes shockingly brief, and then it's all of a sudden, now what? There's a very famous quote, and I'm I'm saying this because I, I happened to discover the video clip for this. I can't remember again. I think this may have been in Journey to the Infinite, but it's a, a very famous quote from an interview with Tom Brady, the quarterback of a football team, and he's talking about the fact that he had three Super Bowl rings. You know, he'd won three Super Bowls and, you know, was considered one of the best and most winning quarterbacks of all time, and he felt like there's got to be more to life than this. So that's part of why. Um, But the story's the story. If you look at stories, there are times that the hero has a goal and the hero achieves the goal. There are times the hero has the goal and the hero doesn't achieve the goal. There are times the hero has the goal and and in the pursuit of it realizes that isn't what I really want. That isn't who I really am. Um, and they they go to a different... The story's the story. And there is no guarantee. And there is no infallible technique that you can use that is guaranteed to produce 
a particular result that you want to have happen in your life. The story is the story. And there's an author to the story that has a plan and a place that the characters are supposed to get to, just like, like with an author of fiction. And so, again, ultimately, this is perceived by a lot of people, by the mind, as bad news. But these days, there aren't that many desires that occur to me. But when they do, what then appears is, all right, I think that would be kind of cool. Let's see what happens. And it's the same kind of a thing of if you're reading a great novel, you're watching a great movie, and all of a sudden a thought occurs to you, wow, I think this is going to happen to the character, you know. Um, and then you don't know, so it's kind of like keep turning the pages to see what's going to happen in the novel, keep watching the movie to see, and it isn't any big deal if it happens, and it isn't any big deal if it didn't happen. You're just aware that a desire popped up. But um, that's the way I am with all of that. So anyway, long-winded once again, but no. There is no guarantee that if you use the tools and you embrace the model and you have a particular goal that you're going to achieve it. If it really would be supportive to your story, if it really is something that's part of your life, purpose, mission, whatever you want to call it, then yes, absolutely it will happen. Not because you use the tools, it'll just happen because it's part of your story. But if it's not, it won't, and it doesn't matter. Again, Harry Potter... It wasn't part of his story to defeat Voldemort till the end of the seventh book. It didn't matter what he did or how badly he wanted it or whatever techniques or whatever he used on the pages of the earlier books. The story was for it not to happen till the end. It's the same thing with our lives in terms of what I see with a capital S and experience with a capital E, and it's not a big deal. It's not a problem. It doesn't depress me. It doesn't demotivate me. It's not an issue. It's just a truthful, with a capital T, relationship with what's going on. And when you knock out enough cloud cover, again, a lot of these desires disappear. Attachment to them disappears. And then as some of the spiritual teachings say, there's massive appreciation for what is appearing and what does appear, whether it aligns with some desire or not. That, to me, is the truth of it. But no bad news in that at all. It's all good news. Cool. If you aren't meant to go to Hawaii because that hasn't been written in the story, to use your example, then you're not going to go there. And the reason you're not going to go there is because it wouldn't support your story in the way that you think it would or in any other way. And if it, it would support your story, and, and that's why the desire is there, and stuff's done over a period of time to work your way towards getting there, whatever that is, saving up the money, saving up the vacation days, you know, quitting a job, and whatever it is, then the journey to get there will happen. And But there's no guarantee of any particular outcome on this path. The only guarantee is your relationship with an experience of whatever happens will be radically different. Radically different which translates mm-hmm. into massive enjoyment of it no matter what. But the so mind does... is never going to believe that mm. until it experiences it. So it does kind of bring up the general question of goal setting, I guess. And that, I mean, that's something we do to entertain ourselves, right? Like we set a goal, like I want to go here in 2015. So, hmm, I'm trying to figure out 
what that means then. I mean, well, this we gets tricky and it can get yeah. very confusing, especially yeah. because there is so much evidence out there about people that were taught to set goals and were taught these strategies for achieving them. And they will say, you know, setting an intention, setting a goal, blah, 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 changed my life. And mm-hmm. I wouldn't be where I am now if I hadn't, you know. There's a zillion examples of that being true. Is there any power in goal setting? To me, the truth is no. Is setting goals and achieving some of them and finding ways to do it and it seeming like the goal had power useful for some stories? Absolutely. I haven't set a goal in, in I think, eight years. Amazing stuff still happens. I'm not the writer of the story. It doesn't matter if I have a goal or not. (laughs) But I could have set goals. It doesn't matter. Harry, there's a famous scene in the Harry Potter movies. I think it's in the final movie. And um, they're getting close, actually, to defeating them. And at one point, Harry says, we need to go to Hogwarts. And Hermione says, we can't just go there. We have to have a plan. And Harry looks at her and says, since when have any of our plans worked? Mm -hmm. We make these plans, we get there, all hell breaks loose, and something else happens. You know, let's just go there. And uh, so if, if what I now call true creative essence, used to call consciousness expanded self, wants to have a character set goals, wants it to appear as if there was some magic formula to achieve them, it can write that into the story, and it can appear that way. But if it appears to work, it's because the writer wrote it that way. It's not because there's any inherent power in it or that it's necessary or that if you don't set an intention or you don't set a goal, it ain't going to happen. That's not true. But if we were to study a 1,000 people on this path through Phase 2 into Phase 3, if we were to study a 1,000 people and in their stories, Ultimate Freedom is Awake, to use my current language, we'd find people that still set goals. They don't care. They're not attached to them, but they still set goals. They still have targets, and what happens, happens, and other people that don't, and we'd see all kinds of variety. The important thing to me is to realize the truth, which is there's no power in it. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, it doesn't. It's not necessary. And if there's power in it, if there appears to be cause and effect in it, it's because the writer wrote it that way, not because it's just inherently powerful or, you know, the way it is, yeah. the way you have yeah. to live. That's my well, bias. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, I've lived my whole life. I'm, I'll be 46 in a month, and I have never been a goal setter. And I've sort of felt guilty about that because so many people are. And I've just naturally kind of just motored along. <laughs> and so far, it's worked out pretty well, but uh, that, that's... Huh. That's interesting. Interesting yeah. view. Yeah. I mean, again, I don't say what I'm about to say in a judgmental way at all. I'm just observing something that appears. Mm-hmm. If you go into Tony Robbins' world, if you talk to a guy like Tony Robbins, if you talk to a lot of people that are in his sphere of influence, they'll tell you all kinds of stories about how yeah. they set goals and they 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 uh, modeled somebody and they this and that and it turned their life around and they all of a sudden started to make money and blah, blah, blah and all these things. And there's so much evidence about spiritual things, about mainstream things, about goals, about everything. There's so much evidence to support that this is the way it is. I've just been taken into seeing that that's not the way it is. 
It can happen if it's been written into the story, but the power is always in the writer. The power is never in the characters or what appears to be going on in the story. I mean, again, what I said before to me is the truth. It's just my bias, but it's the truth. If a character in a story says something, does something, thinks something, feels something, produces any result, what had to happen first? If you're reading it in the pages of a novel, no matter what it is, huh? It had to be scripted there. Yeah, the writer had to write it or you can't be experiencing it. It's the same thing in a movie. If -hmm. you see something on the screen, somebody had to put it there. Somebody had to write it. And to me, that's the truth. So if the story is, there's cause and effect. But again, if you study goal setting and and people are brutally honest, and what happens so much is they're not. They goal set for 100 things. They get 10 of them. They conveniently forget that they didn't get the other 90, and then they say goal setting works. (laughs) That's what tends to happen in phase one. But that aside, it... um, you know, it just, to me, the truth is the truth. And then it's a question of what happens. It's it's not a, a rule or a formula, a prescription or a recommendation. It just, in my life, I haven't set goals since I moved into phase two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's not necessary. If it happens, it's just part of the story. It contributes to the story to have a goal, to do whatever you're doing to try to achieve it. Whatever happens, happens. Right. If but, it's fun um, for you. Yeah, but there's no power in it. It's not necessary. There's a lot of stuff out there that says if you don't set an intention for everything that you do, you know, anything could happen. You know, including most of the time some sort of a message of, you know, you're going to waste your time, you know, something bad's going to happen, you're not going to get what you want. There's there's fear and negativity underlying so much of that stuff in phase one, but... So it's not don't set goals, it's not you're not enlightened if you do, it's not that's not phase three, it's not you're not going to knock through the cloud cover if you still set goals, none of that's true. The only the opportunity is to be in a truthful, with a capital T, relationship with it. And the truthful relationship with it, my bias, is there's no power in it, but mm-hmm. power can be put there in order to support a unique story. Wow. Who cares? Fascinating. <laughs> That's well, why I call it ultimate to... freedom, because when you're free from all of the rules and the formulas and the restrictions and that this is the way it is and this is blah, 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 the feeling of it is that's why that label came through ultimate freedom, because that's the way that it feels. No musts anymore, no shoulds anymore, no inherent mm-hmm. limits or restrictions unless it makes a fun game to play, you know, whatever. It's a, it's a, that's the way it feels. Yeah. That's what the Phase 3 experience actually feels like, and this is a simple example. You don't have to figure out what your target is, what your outcome is, what your goal should be. You don't have to figure out the strategy to get you there. You don't have to figure out how to change your approach if it doesn't work. You don't have to sift through all the options of people saying this is the way to do it, that's the way to do it. Um, it's an amazingly freeing feeling, and amazing stuff still happens, you know? Yeah. yeah it's wow. quite a relief. <laughs> yeah. like yeah. your shoulders go down. <laughs> um, and Basil in the chat says, goal setting sucks, so this is great news. Lol. <laughs> <laughs> I'm with Basil. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'm not with it sucks. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm, just, I I'm just with let's have a truthful relationship with it. Right, right. And where it goes, it goes. It's not a no must, no must nots, no shoulds, no should nots. Yeah. Just let's be in a truthful relationship with it, and then let's see what happens. You oh, can read yeah. novels about characters that set goals. You can see movies about characters who have goals. You can read books and watch movies of characters who don't. It's just what happens. Yeah. Wow. And I could say a lot more about that, but we don't have oh, time. Yeah. And it's well, we would love to have you back. <laughs> We're starting to run out of our, our two-hour time. Yeah, here. and I have to go, too. I have to pick my kids up. But um, Okay. <laughs> but well, this has been great. I uh, appreciate the opportunity. I hope that this has been supportive to some stories of people that are listening. And there's a lot more information on all of this uh, on the website, robertscheinfeld.com. Yes. There are things that there's an expression of appreciation for. There's an awful lot that's, that there isn't. Um, there are things that are just available there. But um, It's a great cool. resource. Yeah, we'll put that on our website as well to make it easy for people to um, to find your page. And we so appreciate all your time. Yeah, thank you my very pleasure. much. And my intention and the way I close some emails is to say, I wish you an ever-expanding experience of truth with a capital T. And that's what I wish for, for you two, um, Megan and Rachel, and everybody listening. That's my thank passion. You. An ever-expanding experience of truth with a capital T. It's Excellent. a fun ride. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye for have now. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. Wow, Rachel. Oh. <laughs> that was awesome. Oh, did you have fun? Yes, I had a lot of fun. And even though my head is still a little blurry from being in his his course, because <laughs> I've been um, watching it nonstop for a few days now. Yeah. It was a great conversation. I'm so glad that he joined us. So grateful the time and just the outpouring of love in the chat room has been incredible too oh, so wow. um mysterious mystery says thanks for this sadly i have to run basil says that was very helpful thank you so yeah thanks for everybody too who called in who listened who asked a question who was on the chat it's and people listening to the replay we really appreciate you coming yeah absolutely I, we've got a great community here. If you have additional questions that you want to talk about, anything that was discussed today, feel free to post on our Facebook page. If you just go to Facebook and search on Soulfulpreneur, you'll find us. And, you know, we'd love to chat with people. I think this brought up so many um, issues and little, oh, what does that mean? And mm -hmm. I need to go back and listen to this again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm probably going to put it on right after we hang up, too. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, reach out to us. We we love talking about this stuff and especially about Robert's work. So, make, you know, make yourself known. So, we're getting the warning of time here. So, we have to sign off. Um, visit the Enlightenment Evolution page on Facebook to learn about all the shows on the network. And, yep. yeah, that, that sounds great. Well, <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Rachel. I'm so excited that we got to do this. And here's to bigger and better shows in 2015. It was awesome today. Yeah, great. Thanks, Megan. All right, thanks. Thanks, everybody, for listening. <laughs> Hugs to everybody. We'll All talk right. to you next week. Bye. Bye.